All right, good morning, church. Good morning to our online folks as well. Well, we wrap up Resilient today. I want to thank you for being a resilient church during this series and during this uh, COVID experience. And I know we're all ready for it to be over with, and uh, it takes some resilience to get through it. I know you despise wearing those masks. I can't stand wearing a mask. Um, but I want to thank you for wearing a mask here. We uh, are trying to keep each other safe. We had a meeting on this uh, with our staff parish relations committee Thursday night and encouraging folks when they get here to continue to wear a mask uh, because we want to invite folks that are watching online that it's safe to come back. It's good to come back. And, uh, and, it's, and one of our doctors who's on our, our call with us um, said it's the most Jesus thing you can do right now is to wear a mask because you're looking out for the needs of others. And so whether you agree with that or not, uh, but thank you for being resilient um, about wearing a mask in our context here. We've been talking about Joseph for six weeks now and one of our longer sermon series, but it's been a great series talking about being resilient. It talked about resilient dreams, resilient integrity, being resilient when you're on the bottom of everything, resilient when you're on the top of everything and resilient in reconciliation. Last week, Trevor did a great job preaching on reconciliation. I preached on forgiveness and reconciliation in the auditorium, and those aren't the same things. Forgiveness and reconciliation are different, and how to even forget when we forgive. So if you haven't listened to those messages in the past, go back and grab them and share them with folks as we talk about being resilient. Now, a couple of things I shared last week is I believe this whole series of being resilient is built on Genesis chapter 12, where God came to Abram and gave him a promise. And the promise that God gave to Abram in chapter 12 of Genesis, I will make you a great nation and bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I'll curse all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. That's a strong word, a promise to Abraham. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. We see that promise being passed down to Joseph. Joseph had been put in a position of leadership so that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. And that blessing, that promise has been passed down to the church that God is calling upon his church, this church, the body of Christ, to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Now, also a share, there's a problem, that evil keeps plotting with people to mess up God's plan to bless the people on the earth. We all know that, right? We read the news, we watch the news, we see where evil is using people to mess up God's plan to bless the people of the earth. We also shared last week that our God has the power to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. Somebody say amen to that. That our God has the power to take what the enemy meant for evil and to turn it for good. And that's really a theme throughout this series, that Joseph ended up in a pit because evil influenced his brothers and were jealous of him and threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery. We find him in prison because evil got in the mind of Potiphar's wife and she tried to seduce him and he resisted. And so she basically 
fabricated a story that led him to be in prison, but God took what the evil one meant for harm and turned it into good. Then we find him in a palace, and then we find him as prime minister. The number two person in all of Egypt, and Joseph is in leadership, anointed by God. He's 39 or 40 years old when he becomes prime minister of the most powerful nation on the planet. Now, he goes on to live to be 110 years old. He became a grandfather and a great-grandfather. We see a family that's been transformed from being a dysfunctional family If you read the story of Joseph's life, growing up in dysfunction, lies, deception, betrayal, into a family with purpose, into a family with passion. And even as Joseph grew older, he never stopped dreaming. Now, I want you to hear that, everyone in this room, no matter how old you are or young you are, you never stop dreaming. Near the end of his life, he's dreaming about legacy. His impact on his family, his impact on his people, his impact on his nation, the nation of Israel. A family that would grow from around 70 to 2.4 million, almost 3 million people when the exodus takes place and the people of God leave Egypt. He believed in a legacy that one day that his people would return to the promised land. They would leave Egypt, and Joseph did not want his bones to stay behind because there is something better than this place. Let's stand together as we read from God's Word this morning. At the end of Genesis, we close this chapter out, this book out. Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 16. And so they sent this message to Joseph before your father died. He instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you. For their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sins. Now, if you heard Trevor's sermon last week or my sermon, you see, reconciliation is a long process. Even after Jacob dies, the brothers still aren't sure they've been forgiven. Even though Joseph has taken care of them and provided for them, they're still wanting to make sure things are right. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came, again confused about forgiveness and reconciliation, threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Remember that promise? You shall bless all the families of the earth. So I can save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. A legacy. A legacy of promise. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. So Joseph and his brothers and their families continued to live in Egypt. Joseph lived to the age of 110. He lived to see three generations of descendants of his son Ephraim and lived to see the birth of of the children of Manasseh's son Makar, whom he claimed as his own. Soon I will die, Joseph said to his brothers. But God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He said, when God comes to help you, not if he comes, but when 
God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him, and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. The Word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Our gracious God, we thank you that you have given us your Word. A Word that's clear, a Word of truth, a Word of promise, a Word of power, a Word of purpose. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear your Word. Give me the words to speak your Word. Word of truth, speak to us this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, legacy, as a definition, is what people remember about you. It's what you leave behind that shapes the future, legacy. And all of us in here are going to leave a legacy of some sort, some kind. It can be a legacy of failure. It can be a legacy of faith. And Joseph wants to leave the world better for his people than the world he was born into. I think it's a great goal for all of us to have. I want to leave the world better than the world I was born into. Well, those are the good old days. Well, God has better days in store for his people if we will strive to have a faith-based legacy. He wants his family to be healthy and holy, not dysfunctional and a disappointment. Legacy focuses on what will endure. It's about passing on things of lasting value. The psalmist wrote in 145 verse 4, generation after generation stands in awe of your work. Each one tells stories of your mighty acts. Now, one of the things we've got to learn about God is God thinks big picture. God is thinking, our God is a generational God. He's looking at generations of people. We sometimes look at our own day and our own experience. God's thinking generations here. He's a generational God. I love how the NLT says it, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. See, the psalmist is writing about God's legacy. And we know that God does some of his best work through willing people, people like Joseph, who's willing to let God work in his life. And he's got a tremendous legacy of faith because of his willingness. God's not looking for perfect people, but willing people. Joseph wasn't perfect. There's been no perfect person on the planet except for Jesus. Willing people. Are you willing today to leave a faith-based legacy? You know, what can we learn about Joseph and his resilience when it, in regards to legacy? What is a legacy of faith? Let me give you my definition. A legacy of faith involves living intentionally by faith. You can't leave a legacy of faith unless you intentionally live by faith. To build faith into the next generation so the story of God's faithfulness can continue. Let me read that to you again. A legacy of faith involves living intentionally by faith to build faith into the next generation so the story of God's faithfulness can continue. We are called to get, help those who come behind us to grow in the faith, to launch them into the faith. 
So I'm going to give you some, some ways that I think Joseph built a legacy of faith. First of all, Joseph feared the Lord and followed him. And if you're going to have a legacy of faith, you've got to fear the Lord and you've got to follow him. Genesis 42, on the third day, Joseph said to them, his brothers, I am a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. A God-fearing man, a God-fearing woman, a God-fearing teenager, a God-fearing young person, a God-fearing child, a God-fearing grandfather, a God-fearing grandmother. If you want to have a legacy of faith, you got to fear God. Now, what does that mean to fear God? It means that we got to put our trust in God. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 112. How joyful are those who fear the Lord. Joy and fear. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commandments. You see the connection there between the fear of the Lord and delight and joy in obeying his commandments? It's not a scary thing. It's about obeying, delighting in the things of God. And what happens, here's a promise, if you fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commandments, their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed because of somebody choosing to fear God. That's a strong statement. That's a legacy of faith. Fear the Lord and follow him. You know, in the Bible, fear is both something we should do and something we should not do. A hundred times the Bible tells us to fear not. Don't be afraid. Fear not, Jesus said. I'm with you always. But over 300 times the Bible tells us to fear God, to honor God, to respect God, to give reverence to God. And you know, my friends, hear this. If you fear God, you don't have to fear anything else. If you fear God, you don't have to fear anything else. You don't have to fear people's opinions. You don't have to fear political correctness. You got to just fear God. And if you will fear God, you will fear nothing less. Now, God wants you to be a person of grace, and we'll get into that in a minute, but we don't need to be walking around afraid and fearful. You know, even in the midst of Joseph's life of disappointment, rejection, betrayal, and success, he was resilient. Why? He never gave up fearing God. God had first place in his life. You know, rejection, betrayal, disappointment caused many people to lose their legacy of faith. They give up. They give in. And even in success, he was resilient. He was the number two guy in Egypt the second most powerful man on the planet. But he didn't forget to fear God. So, folks, when we've been blessed, and everybody in this room here has been blessed, you can't stop fearing God. You can't start taking all that for granted. You've got to continue to trust God with everything. But there's also a fear of failure that can cripple legacy, a fear of failure. So we don't ever step out. In fact, I've ever read a book, and one day, hopefully, I'll write a book. Um, my title is going to be, You Won't Find That Until You Step Out. You're not going to find out what God can do until you step out. You've you got to step out in faith. You know, Joseph stepped out. He stepped up and, 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 and interpreted 
Well, he, first of all, he stepped in the prison and said, hey, whenever you get out of prison one day, remember me. Remember me, I'm the, I'm the guy who interprets dreams. And then whenever Pharaoh gives him this bizarre dream, Joseph steps up into the opportunity and, and didn't shrink back. Didn't say, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't want to say anything to offend you. <laughs> but he told him the truth and told him what the dream meant. It wasn't a good dream. He told both of the baker and the, and the, uh, the, uh, the whatever the other person was, forget his cupbearer, there you go, the one who drank the poison, right? Uh, he, uh, uh, one got a good dream, one not so good dream. Don't be afraid of failure. And also, don't let failure derail your dream. You know, I shared last week in my sermon the story of Judah, Jesus, I mean, Joseph's half-brother. My wife texted me after the first sermon and said, you said stepbrother, so I'm going to clean that up a little bit. He was the half-brother of Joseph, Judah. Remember the story of Judah? You find it in chapter 38 of Genesis in this whole narrative where we've been studying that Judah was a murderer. Judah was a deceiver. Judah was the brother whose idea it was to sell Joseph into slavery. It was his idea to spread the rumor that he had been attacked by wild animals. Judah was not a good guy. And years later, after Joseph had been sold into slavery and all this other dysfunction is going on, that one of Judah's sons married a woman named Tamar. And then he died. So a second one of Joseph's, Judah's sons married Tamar, and he dies. So this greatly concerns Judah that he's lost two sons now who married this woman named Tamar. So he pretty much throws her out of the family, makes her an outcast. She is a nobody now. And if you read the story, it's a bit of dysfunction. Again, that family was riddled with dysfunction. Is that Tamar, wanting to survive, disguises herself as a prostitute and then tricks Judah into sleeping with her, and she becomes pregnant. And they drag her before Judah, and he condemns her to death. But then she produces evidence that he indeed is the father of her son, and so his sin is exposed. Judah, this deceiver, this murderer, this adulterer, he's been exposed. If you read the story, what does he do? He's the first man in the Bible to publicly confess his sin. And he says, she, being Tamar, is more righteous than me. And then you fast forward into the story of Joseph whenever his brothers come, half-brothers come to Egypt. Who is it that steps forward, it says? It's Judah that steps forward and confesses and repents. And says, take me as a replacement for Benjamin, the youngest brother. And what happens out of all that forgiveness and repentance, out of all that dysfunction, is that whenever Jacob blesses Judah, he gives him the family inheritance, and he becomes the tribe of Judah. You ever heard of the tribe of Judah? It's the lineage of Jesus. This, this deceiver, this murderer, this betrayer who sells his brother into slavery, who was going to condemn a woman to death, is in the lineage of Jesus Christ because he repented. 
because he believed that failure didn't have to define his legacy. And I don't know where you failed at today. All of us are sinners. All of us have made mistakes, but failure does not have to define you. You can be set free from that. By the grace of God, he redeems the past. Somebody say amen to that. He redeems the past. He redefines those who repent. Judah went from being condemned to being chosen. He went from being a mess to a messenger. He went from a failure to somebody with a future legacy in the tribe of Judah in the lineage of Jesus. Secondly, this morning, to leave a faith-based legacy, you got to focus on the needs around you. Focus on the needs around you and respond with action. you got to see the hurting people around you and the needs around you and respond with action if you want to have a faith-based legacy. Because a faith-based legacy is based on sacrifice. It's based on service. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve A faith-based legacy. You know, Genesis uh, 41 says this, as a famine got worse all over the country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold emergency supplies to the Egyptians. The famine was very bad. Soon the whole world was coming to buy supplies from Joseph. The whole world was coming to buy supplies from Joseph. The famine was bad all over. Focus on the needs around you and respond with action will give you a faith-based legacy. See the needs. You know, people ask me all the time, Jeff, what is the meaning of vision? Define vision for me. I believe that vision is seeing what God is doing and joining him. God sees the needs of broken people, and he begins to move into action, and we say, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of changing the world, what God is doing and joining him. And let me tell you what, folks, God is doing some amazing things in this world today. As bad as this world is right now, God's still marching on. Can I get an amen to that? And we need to be a part of that. We don't need to get caught up in all the hoopla that's going on and forget to see what God is doing. I shared this earlier um, about the, 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 the legacy of faith that comes from this church. Uh, Cheryl Rogers is here. Cheryl, you're back there. I saw you behind your mask. Thank you for wearing your mask, Cheryl. Um, Cheryl, I think you're the longest member that's here this morning, I, I would think. Uh, one of your cohorts, uh, Carolyn, was in the, the 9 o'clock service. Mount Horb has quite a legacy, uh, quite a history. Founded in 19, 1894, maybe a little earlier than that in some history books. But this church, a few people in this church had a passion for missions, and, and one of them was Miss Maddie George. And she, she always wanted to be a missionary. And she wanted to be involved in missions. And, I, and, and, and we found some records. In 1960, the mission budget for Mount Horeb, seeing the needs of the area and trying to meet them, was $50 a year. And here's what's even more interesting is that $20 of that $50 was designated toward race relations. So in 1960, Mount Horeb was given almost a third of its mission giving to race relations. I thought that was interesting. When I got here in, in 1994, Miss Maddie had been working hard trying to promote a vision for missions, seeing the needs around this area and trying to meet them. And the mission budget was $250. So it had jumped, right? That's a big jump from $50 to $250, right? It had jumped. I preached a sermon in 1995 about how this church needed to get involved in focusing outward 
and not just inward. Churches that focus inward die. Churches that focus outward grow and live and thrive. It's just how God designed something called the Great Commission that Jesus gave us, right? And so I preached that sermon, and, and at that time, our weekly operating budget need was $1,600 a week. It's kind of hard for me to comprehend that, but that's what we needed per week to make budget. So I had a fellow who had lived sort of a sordid life, made some mistakes in his life, but had become a follower of Jesus, showed up at Mount Horeb, and after hearing that sermon, he walked into my office and says, I want to give $5,000 a week for the next six weeks to missions. Well, I had the same, same expression you had. <laughs> wow. Okay, cool. That's great. He gave $30,000 to start a more intensive mission outreach ministry at Mount Horeb, taking Miss Maddie George's vision of being a mission-based church. Well, I asked Penny, our financial director, because I know I didn't need to do the math on this, that based on her records, how much has Mount Horeb given away in missions since 1995? You ready for that number? $9.7 million. Amen? That's good. See, that is, a, that is a legacy of faith that a lady had many years ago that somebody stepped into it and gave 30 grand. Now, that person that gave 30 grand left the church, moved away, you know, a year or two after that. Someone spoke to him in the, sometime in the recent past and said he was living in a single wide trailer on a river and never been happier. When he steps into eternity, that $30,000 investment is going to be about $10 million. That's a pretty good investment for the kingdom of God. That's seeing a need and being willing to meet it. I'm here today because a 64-year-old woman named Mrs. Luella Fannin saw a need in young people in our community and started a Tuesday morning prayer breakfast before school. And she would stop and pick me up before school on Tuesday mornings and take me to church. She was 64. She was in a back brace. She drove a beige Skylark, Buick Skylark. But she had a passion and a vision to see that there were needs in our community and did something about it and took some action. And I think she's got a good legacy of other. There were seven of us who started in that prayer breakfast that became pastors. One woman no youth ministry training, didn't know what she was doing, didn't have a clue what she was doing, but God called her and she answered the call. Out of his concern for the youth of today, Josh McDowell has written a book called The Last Christian Generation. The Last Christian Generation. He says, I realize the title of this book may be shocking, but the decision to call this The Last Christian Generation was not made lightly nor done for sensationalism. Josh McDowell, a great Christian apologist, says, I sincerely believe unless something is done now to change the spiritual state of our young people, you will become the last Christian generation. Do you hear that? That's a, that's a concerning thought. Why are we fumbling the handoff of faith, people? Mount Horb is committed to student ministry. But as a, as a whole, why are we as a people of faith not leaving a legacy of faith for our children and for our youth? I think it's because of this other aspect that we've got to do to form a, a leave a legacy, and that's form a foundation of truth and grace. We've got to speak the truth today in grace. Trevor did a great job talking about that last week. 
Jesus came full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In this crazy country we live in right now, our greatest need is truth. Can I get an amen to that? We need to speak the truth in grace and in love. And here's what drives me crazy. This is a paradox of craziness, in my opinion. The people who deny absolute truth, who deny that the Bible is really true, are the ones who believe that they are absolutely true. Have you noticed that? The people that deny absolute truth believe they are absolutely true. And you can't have a conversation because they're absolutely true and you're absolutely wrong. We don't need to be afraid of speaking the truth. Paul said it this way, I passed on to you what was most important and what has been passed on to me. Of all the things that Paul talks about, what does he talk about? Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as Scripture said. Why did we say the affirmation of faith a few minutes ago? Because it's absolute truth. This is what God has done. This is what God's going to do. No matter how crazy this world gets, God is going to do what God said he was going to do. There will be a coming judgment. There will be the judgment of the living and the dead. It's coming. And we have got to be able to speak truth into this generation if we're going to have a lasting legacy. Josh McDowell goes on to talk about the teens that are today are being formed into what he calls functional deists. You know what a functional deist is? Some of you in this room may be a functional deist. A functional deist is someone who believes that God exists, believes that God created the world, that God set life in motion, but he only becomes involved in our lives to make us happy or to solve our problems. There's a lot of people that believe that's who God is. He only comes into my life to make me happy or to solve my problems. That's a deist. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is with, wants to be in a personal relationship with us 24-7, in the good times and in the bad times, in the challenging times and the times of celebration, because we need a God who will save us from our sins, not a God who will make us happy. God didn't send a counselor. He sent a Savior, because we need a Savior who will tell us the truth about our lives. Medell goes on and talks about two of the major challenges, and I don't have time to really drill into these this morning, but two of the major challenges of, of, our, of our teenagers today, why they're struggling with. The first, he says, is, is something he calls overexposure to worldly philosophy, that our teens are being exposed to a worldly philosophy through media, social media, in education, in universities, and in seminaries. A... a, a, a a worldview that is humanistic and a worldview that leaves God and the Bible and Jesus out of the equation. And it looks attractive. It looks exciting. And, and, and they're not hearing the truth. And they've been exposed to this whole worldview from Hollywood, from the sporting world, wherever it might be, that you don't need God. The only time you need God is when you're in trouble. The only time you need God is when you want to be happy. That's not the God of the Bible. Far too many parents watch their kids sow seeds of destruction, but somehow hope for a crop of righteousness. 
We let our kids dabble in all kinds of things and hope they're going to turn out good. Our kids need to be told the truth about life and about what's going on in the world. And the second thing he says, which is interesting, because we're committed to strong children and strong student ministry, he says there's an overabundance, overdependence, excuse me, overdependence on church programs. That parents hand their kids off to the church and say, you take them. You teach them. You tell them about Jesus. And when you ask teens, 78% of teens say their number one influence in their life is not a church leader, is not a church program, but it's a parent. Parents and grandparents, we have got to step up and quit saying for the church or a church program to take care of our kids. Now, I'm going to, as long as I'm a pastor, we're going to have great student ministry, we're going to have great children's ministry, but it's a partnership. I hope that's one of the silver linings out of COVID, that because of COVID, that parents are taking seriously the responsibility of modeling faith for their children, of modeling faith for their teenagers, of modeling faith for their grandkids. We've got to do that, my friends. When a parent's faith is not lived out in front of their kids, it's perceived by their kids as a hobby and unrelated to reality. You hear that? And so when they get challenged at school, get challenged, they don't have a faith they can stand on because they haven't seen their parents take a stand on anything. Parents, we've got to stand up and speak the truth and live the truth if we're going to have a legacy of faith with grace, with love, with mercy, all those things. And then next, fix your eyes on what's eternal. Joseph did not want his bones to remain in Egypt. He, he didn't want to stay in Egypt. When, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him, and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. It's a good thing they embalmed him because it took a couple hundred years for them to get out of Egypt. Hadn't embalmed him, it might have been no bones to take back. <laughs> but he was embalmed in a casket. You know, Egypt had been good to Joseph, but he knew it wasn't, it wasn't his final home. We got to guard our hearts, my friends, not to get too comfortable in this world. You hear that, right? Egypt had been good to Joseph, but he, that wasn't his home. Take my bones back to the promised land. Take my bones back to the, play, to the land of our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, we've been blessed to live in a land of plenty, but this is not our home. These houses are not our houses. These cars are not our cars. That lake is not our lake. Some of you think that because if I fish around your dock, you get mad at me. That lake is not your lake. It's God's lake, right? And when you and I leave here, it's still going to be a lake. And whenever we leave here, somebody's going to fight over our house or sell it or change it or tear it down or rebuild it. Here's what Paul said to the Corinthians. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Joseph knew that to have a legacy of faith, you've got to focus on what's eternal, not what's temporary. Everything we have on this planet is temporary. Can I get a second to that? We know that, right? We don't like that, but we need to know that. You came into this world with nothing, and you'll leave this world with nothing. Except what? The grace of God and the goodness of God. You know, in Hebrews 11, it lists all the Old Testament people of great faith, the legacy of faith. 
And there you'll find Jacob and Joseph listed. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's son and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. And then in verse 22 of chapter 11, it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would one day leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with him when they left. And then going down into the end of that chapter or in the middle of that chapter, verses 13 through 16, these are great words here. All these people died. <laughs> Say that with me. All these people died. All these people died. <laughs> One day somebody's going to look at it and go, all those people died. Still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on the earth. Do you, do you agree with that? That you are a foreigner and a nomad here on the earth? Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place. Somebody say amen to that. A better place. A heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. Fix your eyes on what's eternal if you want to have a legacy of faith. And then last of all, finish the race well. Finish the race. You got to finish. Everything in life is about to finish, right? You got to finish. You got to finish well. As I look at the waning years of my ministry, I'm, you know, on, the, on this side of ministry, I want to finish well. I want to finish strong. Whatever that finish time line is, I want to finish strong. You know, when I was running track in, in, in high school, Pete, you probably ran track in high school, right? You're, you didn't run track. I ran track. Well, I was a freshman in high school. I was five foot one, and my legs were really short. And for whatever reason, my coach believed that I should run the mile. You know? And I remember thinking, Man, this just doesn't make sense because these guys with long legs, I'm, trying, I'm running twice as fast as they are, just trying to stay up with them. So the coach thought I was fast, and he thought I was a miler. So one day, we had, a, we had the state champion miler on our high school track team, Mike Spears. He ran a, a sub-five-minute mile in high school in, in the early 70s. He was, he, was, he was really good. I think he set the record for the state, state mile, mile record for Kentucky. And so one day the coach says, Jeff, I want you, Kersey, I want you to run rabbit today. I didn't know what that meant. He says, I want you to run rabbit. I want you to run as fast as you can, as long as you can, and the other team is going to follow you. And then Mike will sit back <clears throat> and run his pace, and then, boom, he'll blow right by those guys. I said, okay, I can do that. I can run fast. I ran as fast as I could for two laps. My little legs turning, you know, I'd run as hard as I could run, and I never caught our guy. I never caught Mike Spears, and I'm running as fast as I can run. I didn't run the mile again. I didn't finish well. Folks, you got to push through and finish well if you're going to leave a le legacy of faith. Life is not a sprint. Life is a marathon. Hebrews 12, at the end, the next chapter, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the, and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and not lose heart. You want to have a legacy of faith? Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Finish well. 
You know, they buried Joseph's body in Egypt so his bones could be carried back to the promised land. Folks, make sure you don't bury your faith. We don't bury our faith, we carry our faith. Our hope is not in a casket. Our hope is not in a cemetery. I got people, we got people right now upset about a cemetery. (laughs) That's not where our hope is. It's not in a cemetery. I had somebody recently tell me that, you know, you know, my grandmother loved you. I said, I know, she, I, she was a special lady. Or right now in heaven, she's upset because of your position on a cemetery policy. And my last words were, I don't think your grandmother's concerned one bit about a cemetery. She's concerned about where you're going to spend eternity, not where you're going to be buried at. See, our hope is in an empty tomb. We go for it. I'm going to give you these final points, put them up on the screen. Of, of how to have a lasting legacy. Stand firm in shaky times. We need you to stand firm right now because we're living in shaky times, right? Stand firm. Don't back down. Stand up for what you believe. Number two, start with your children and grandchildren. It's got to start there. They need to hear from you. Tell them the truth. Share your story for his glory. Share your story for his glory. It's not about your glory. It's his glory. And spend and invest in what will last for eternity. Jesus said, don't lay up treasures on the earth. Instead, lay your treasures up in eternity. And finally, stay committed, finish well. Stay committed, finish well. Don't let failure define you. Evil may have disrupted, evil may have derailed, evil may have delayed your legacy, but evil does not have to define your legacy. Our God has the power to transform what the enemy intended for harm into good. Somebody say amen. Don't forget that, folks. God wants you to finish well. A legacy of faith. Let me pray for you. Gracious God, I thank you that you're here with us today. That your word is eternal. Your word never changes. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And today, help us to tell the truth to our children, our youth, our families, so that tomorrow they can stand on a firm foundation. Because the storms will come, the betrayal will happen, the deceptions will happen. But when those storms come, the house is built on the Word of Jesus. Put into practice, that house will stand. But the house that's built on the words of this world will fall. Lord God, give the people of Mount Horb a continued legacy of faith. I pray for that person right now that feels like a failure, has done things that they regret, that right now if we confess our sins to you, our mistakes, our failures, Confess them to you that you, through Jesus Christ, his death on a cross, will forgive us and cleanse us and make us right with you. And we can be defined by faith and not failure. I pray that would happen for someone listening today right now. Lord, because you've given us this, we've received this from you. Help us to give it to others. A legacy of faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.